Hello, everyone. This is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming, as always, the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. I'm coming to you this morning from my studio beneath the sky, tucked away under the tall timbers of Colorado. It is Tuesday, January the 23rd. Thank you so much for joining us. We were out of pocket last night. I did a podcast yesterday from a hotel room uh, with Andy Woods. I hope you had a chance to uh, listen to that. We talked about the pre-wrath rapture. It was an excellent sort of succinct summary of the weaknesses and problems uh, with that view. As you know, Dr. Woods is always uh, uh, just fun to talk to and, and, and just really has some insightful uh, arguments. And uh, to me, of course, it's a, it's a pretty solid slam dunk, but I know good people disagree on the timing of the rapture relative to the tribulation and the wrath of God. But I hope you'll take the time to listen to that uh, podcast from yesterday. Uh, we just talked about some key points that seem to indicate the rapture happens before the 70th week of Daniel, which is, of course, our view. And speaking of that, I've got a guest coming up here in a moment who is uh, also passionate about the pre-trib rapture, dispensational premillennialism. Amando Gonzalez from Prophecy Watchers will be with us to talk about the mystery of the Ten Kings. And this has been a subject that I've been kind of bouncing around in my head for some time. It's it's one of those end times topics that is just uh, is, is, is a little difficult to kind of connect all the dots to. You've got several passages of Scripture that kind of weigh in on it. So we'll get uh, Mondo's take on it. He's going to kind of uh, give us some, some food for thought there on the future tribulation period and what role the Ten Kings play and what all of uh, Bible prophecy has to say about that. Uh, I'll introduce him uh, in just a moment, but real quickly, uh, just got a great week ahead. It's only Tuesday, but I feel like we've already uh, just really hit a couple of home runs here with uh, Andy Woods yesterday and Mondo Gonzalez today. Uh, the highlight of the week each week is always our World Events Update, which is tomorrow with Randy. Uh, on Thursday, I've got Lucas Doremus on to talk about the enticing illusion of quantum uh, computing. And then on Friday, returning a guest, uh, Brad Maston, will be with us to talk about Christians and the things of this world. Uh, so that rounds out this week. Uh, last week, we had Alex Newman, Pete Garcia, Dr. Randall Price, uh, The Search for the Ark of the Covenant. Those those were some great podcasts last week. Uh, as always, if you're interested in watching the video version of today's podcast or any of our regular uh, pod, week, uh, daily podcasts, uh, you can sign up for our premier membership. Uh, it's a small monthly fee, or you can pay annually. You can cancel at any time. But it gives you all sorts of additional content, including almost all of the streaming material that you find in our uh, online store comes free with a premier membership. But uh, it also gives you each day the opportunity to watch the video version of the conversation that I have with our guests. So you can kind of see their reactions. Uh, you can see as they are trying not to laugh at my futile attempts at, at jokes, and, and it's just fun to kind of watch the interaction. So you can learn more about our Premier subscription at notbyworks.org. Click on the store button and you'll see uh, the Premier subscription option. But uh, of course, the podcasts are always free, the audio podcast, and I hope you uh, enjoy them and are learning and growing from them. The verse for the day is from Proverbs chapter 23, uh, verses 17 and 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. And uh, that just is an encouragement to me. I hope it is to you as well. Uh, we see the the evil doers winning out on so many fronts from an earthly perspective. They seem to get the power, the fame, the money, all of that. But uh, none of that matters in the grand scheme of things. Our task is to be zealous for the fear of the Lord, to honor and reverence Him, to know that He wins in the end, to realize that there surely is a hereafter and our hope will be realized someday, whereas Satan and all of his earthly minions and his uh, evil celestial beings will all be cast into the eternal lake of fire, which was, after all, prepared for them or with them in mind in the first place. So I hope that encourages you. That's Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. Well, uh, Mondo Gonzalez uh, works with Gary Stearman there at uh, Prophecy Watchers. They've got a great conference coming up. I'm Privileged to speak there again this year. It's the Orlando Prophecy Summit. It's linked up at our website. Uh, you can also get to it at prophecywatchers.com. Uh, but the uh, the conference in-person tickets are sold out, but it is not at all too late to get the streaming tickets. It gets you access to every one of the speakers. I think they've got 18 speakers this year. It's a four-day conference. Uh, you have access to those for, for 
six months, I believe it is. Mondo can tell us more about that. Uh, but man, I hope to see you there either online or in person. Uh, that is February the 29th through March the 3rd. And what a great conference that's going to be. But Mondo, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to uh, to join us today. It's always good to be here. You know, it's always fun and get to talk about God's word and point people to looking around and seeing as you know, all the stuff that we're seeing, it's 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 really a it's really a privilege. Well, one of the things I love talking about you, and I'm so glad the Lord allowed our paths uh, to cross. And uh, of course, I knew of you through uh, you know through your work with LA, and then ever since you got connected to Prophecy Watchers. But uh, like so many of you guys, you were just sort of one of these famous people out there that I benefited from listening to your uh, work online and and so forth. But then. Uh, by God's grace, we uh, you you invited me to speak at the conference, and we've crossed paths at other conferences, pre-trib and the like. And so you've become a good friend. One of the things I love about you, Mondo, is that you know you you're not afraid to to let the text speak for itself and go so so to speak off script from the normal traditional viewpoints. You know, uh, I'm an unapologetic dispensationalist. I know you are too, but I, I like to think that I'm a biblicist first, as we mm -hmm. should be. And, uh, you know, I let the text go where it is. And so, so often, you know, we have conversations either formally, like we're going to do today, or informally around a coffee table or something. And, uh, you know, going in, I'm not really sure kind of what you're about your view, but by the end of it, I go, wow, that makes a lot of sense. I think I agree with them, you know? So you just have a way of, of really, uh, you know, graciously dealing with the scriptures and, uh, and, and, and back and forth. So I appreciate that. So, Today we're going to talk about the, uh, the the mystery of the ten kings, and that's also the title of one of your messages at the prophecy summit. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, it really, yep, it is. Okay, and so this is sort of a precursor to that. But the passages that are in play here are, of course, the two key passages from Daniel: the statue of Nebuchadnezzar in chapter two, Daniel's vision in chapter seven of the beasts. And then, of course, uh, Revelation chapter 17, and then other passages that you're going to bring in to the discussion as you sort of begin to make the connection. But to set the stage for our listeners, you know, you've got 10 toes in the revived Roman Empire in the statue in Daniel chapter 2. You've got 10 uh, horns uh, in Daniel chapter 7. And then in, in Revelation 17, which we know there are a lot of parallels between Revelation and Daniel, uh, you've got another reference to the ten horns, which uh, Revelation tells us are ten kings. So that's what we want to talk about today. How does that relate to the end times, and how might those prophecies find fulfillment ultimately in the in the eschaton? So I'll just let you kind of take away, and then I'll interject some comments and questions along the way. Yeah, I appreciate your interjections, because I've been looking forward <laughs> to this, because I... Uh... I wrote about this a couple of years ago in the magazine, and one of the things that um, came was Gary had written an article just prior to that, and uh, he he didn't develop it fully, but he he asked a question which caught me thinking. And one of the things that he asked was, you know, everybody's looking for and trying to discern the identity of the Antichrist, you know, and, and he's like the main guy, right? And which we, we know that's true. But <clears throat> what we do know... And the question that he asked is based on scripture, uh, Daniel 7 primarily, is that the Antichrist arrives after. He, he, he's considered the little horn in Daniel 7. Uh, you have the ten horns, and there's another little horn that comes up and and and, ca and causes trouble, and, and he becomes the supreme horn. But before him are these ten horns. And so Gary just simply asked, well, well shouldn't we be looking instead for who the ten horns might be. And I was like, that's a great question. And so he also uh, asked the, the phrase or asked the question of, of whether could they be oligarchs. And so an oligarch, by definition, oligarchy is just the rule by a few. So we do know that as the, the, the ten kings uh, come to a place of, of leadership uh, in the end, it is a rulership of a few because it has them giving their authority and all their influence and power to the, the Antichrist. We see that in Revelation 17. So anyways, it got me got me thinking about oligarchy and then also um, the introducing the word technocrat. A technocrat is, 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 or a technocracy, you've written a lot about this as well, and that is simply just those that rule uh, and use technocracy, technology as a way to do that. And so 
when we think about this, uh, I mean, this is something that the Bible, you know, Daniel 2, 7, and Revelation, it's been around for a long time, as we know. But the 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 the, the depth to what they understood back then certainly is wondered. I mean, they're writing down scripture, and we know that's authoritative for sure. But as we come to Revelation 13, this is kind of where it starts for me, is in Revelation 13, uh, we have this unlimited authority given to the Antichrist for the last three and a half years, um, miracles, signs and wonders, etc. But we, we see a, a wound, a mortal wound being healed. But we also see as well that you have the image of the beast, which uh, has, has a part to play. He's able to give a breath. Um, to that, exactly what that means can be, can be debated. But the key is in, in 13, 16 through 18, talking about the mark and talking about, so we have, we have two things. We have religion, certainly in Revelation 13, we have politics and we have economics. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of that economics involves buying and selling, but it also it logically has been the reason why dispensationalists for a long time, futurists have said, we have to come to a cashless society because cash is economics and in order to to remove black markets and behind the scenes or barter systems to be able to track everything and to control it you need to move into the digital realm so digital um means technology and so we 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 see that and we see cashlessness so this is where you have the idea of a technocracy uh, being revealed from the scripture as it relates to one of the characteristics or one of the main characteristics to the to the effectiveness of the Antichrist fulfilling his goals. And so if you take that as an introduction, it's reasonable then. What I did in my article was to say, okay, well, let's, uh, are the 10 kings, 10 oligarchs, are they 10 technocrats? And so that that's the question that ultimately, Revelation 17, I'll give you an example. Revelation 17 I'll read it. This is what causes me, me caused me originally to ponder. It says, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. And so the real question then is... <clears throat> The, the the typical traditional interpretation has always been well these are these are ten regions uh, and you have a a, a a single leader over a region maybe it's the North American trade agreement or the North American Empire uh, the Club of Rome uh, ten regions South America whatever so you have this one leader and then they conglomerate into giving all of that to um, the Antichrist at that point in the tribulation period well. That's fine, but the reason I question is because of Revelation 17. They don't have a kingdom. Mm -hmm. So if you are a leader over a region, you have a kingdom, right. but they don't have a kingdom. So that's what caused me to go, I think there's something else. I'll make one more one more thought here and then get your get your comments. Because so Basileus in the Greek, so I went there. I was like, you know, let's see what the lexicons say about this. So I went to the the the, the best lexicon that that uh, you know all Bible scholars know, BDAG. B-D-A-G, it's, it's, it's got its name. We don't need to do all that. But it says this. Um, it says, in its second entry, it says, one who, one who possesses unusual or transcendent power. Hmm. So it's, it's not saying that it's necessarily a person that's king of a kingdom. It's someone who has unusual. It's, it's strange. It's, it's, it's not normal uh, transcendent power, which to me... My thought was, well, okay, if we look around at the world, and these are 10 figures that are not necessarily political monarchs, who do we know that has unusual or transcendent power? Or another way to say it is, who are the biggest influencers? That's a good sure. social media word, right? Who are the biggest influencers today? And I wrote this right in the middle, or really the middle towards the tail end of, of COVID, and it was easy to look around and see these non-governmental individuals dictating and providing influence to worldwide organizations and governments. That's kind of an intro. Yeah, no. Okay. So let me, man, there's a lot there. I love it. I love it. So let me sort of repeat back both to make sure I'm understanding it right. And for our listeners, kind of where you're coming from. So first of all, 
we can sort of set aside for the purposes of this discussion the statue in Daniel 2 and the ten mm -hmm. toes. That's another issue altogether. The, the mm -hmm. issue is the identity of the ten horns that both Daniel and uh, the Revelator talk about in, in Daniel 7 and Revelation 17. You set the stage by just by going to Revelation 13, which sort of paints the picture of what it will be like in the second half of the tribulation, and it's a picture of total absolute authority uh, exercised by the Antichrist and his henchman, the false prophet that I've written about, and how they're going to use uh, technocracy, uh, you know, uh, preside over a technocracy to usher in the one world's religion, the one world economy, those type of things, a full spectrum control grid. But the question is that we're discussing is how do they get there, right? So mm -hmm. what, what are the steps that take place based on the biblical record? And so uh, you pointed out that Revelation 17 makes it clear that the 10 horns are the 10 kings, uh, but they have not yet received a kingdom. And then as you were reading it, what caught my eye was that uh, they are to receive authority, Basileia, the word you talked about, as kings. And and, that, and as kings is a, is a figure of speech, a simile, like kings. In other words, they're not necessarily a full-fledged traditional king in the sense of having a, a region and a kingdom and a throne. And uh, It's the Greek word host. It, it, is a, it is. It's the Greek word host. Yeah, there you go. It's a comparative particle there. Yeah, very, yeah, very important. That's, my, that's what I figured. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the idea here is, as you said, if you're a, 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 you know, a king, you've got a kingdom and you've got, that's, that's part and parcel to it. And John seems to be describing something a little different here where they are, uh, they are influencers, they're powerful, they're oligarchs, as you said, they're kind of acting as kings or like kings, but they're not actually kings, and they don't really have a kingdom. And and so, as you say, and I, I've talked about the Club of Rome uh, plan to to divide the earth up into ten regions. Uh, that also is just an indication of the desire of Satan's Luciferian elite on earth to try to take control of the world. But that doesn't mean that's a correspondence to these ten kings, because mm -hmm. as you say, the text says they have not yet received a kingdom. If you're presiding over a region of geography, by definition, that's a kingdom. So I have I, I agree with you on that. So the question then is, could uh, Revelation be describing a scenario according to which you've got, and I don't want to steal your thunder oh, here. No, go ahead. Let's, you let's can probably say it a lot better than I can, but just, you know, to throw it back to you, where where we're going with this is, could there be a scenario where the Antichrist uh, sort of orchestrates the, the the covenant that we read about in Daniel 9, 27, starting the clock ticking on that final seven years? In the first three and a half years, he's sort of someone that everyone looks to in the chaos uh, of the day, for advice and for leadership. And leadership, again, is, is, is not a factor of a title. It's a factor of a of influence. And mm -hmm. so, but it's not until the midpoint that he really sort of takes the bull by the horns and says, I'm in charge of this thing. Uh, and my anti, my false prophet is, is right here with me. And we're now the, the, uh, you know, authoritative leaders of this one world kingdom. And so could those 10 kings sort of be personalities, players, key figures in the global world at that time that help him achieve that? Am I getting close there? Mm -hmm. No, uh, you're exactly right. Because one of the things that's interesting is, again, going back to watching what we're seeing now, COVID was great in the sense that it, it, it opened a veil that had been worked on for a long time, but we began to see, um, surprisingly, uh, and it's no doubt that it, no coincidence that it happened uh, right after uh, Trump was gone. Uh, Trump seems to be, at least, again, not saying I'm a super fan of Trump, just his, his pro-America, America wanted to um, stay on top. Again, we know that globalism can't have an America. Uh, so, to see that come to play after he's out of the picture and to see uh, the current administration as well as the others uh, jumping on the bandwagon of globalism in order to solve this global crisis is one of the first times that you had a, a global crisis that was attempted to be solved by these, again, non-governmental organizations, the WHO, etc. But WF and, and them dictating 
and government's responding. Even the CDC, for to some degree, I know it's part of the U.S. government, but it's it's listening to the WHO and and uh, etc. But one of the things that that I I, I want to share is Klaus Schwab in his book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. You know, 2015, and you've written about it. But he he says this: the World Economic Forum's Global Agenda Council on the Future of Software and Society conducted a survey of 800 executives to gauge when business leaders anticipate that these game-changing technologies would break into the public domain to a significant degree, degree, and to understand fully the implications of these shifts to individuals, organizations, and governments, and society. And in his appendix of that book, he's, he, he's describing their agenda, which ultimately is the, the 2030 agenda, the sustained SDGs and all those. But he says... He lists, and I, I won't go through all of them, but he lists 21 different technologies in his appendix saying that there's no way they can accomplish their goal without using these technologies. You know, implantable technologies, digital, uh, wearable internet, ubiquitous computing, that's important, a supercomputer, uh, smart cities, big data, artificial intelligence, and it goes on and on, robotics, and then we also could add nanotechnology, quantum computing, biotechnology, the Internet of Things, the Industrial Internet of Things, decentralized consensus, um, Saturday, satellite Internet technology for worldwide distribution, blah, blah, blah. So what you see, what I see is, oh, it's interesting that what he said was exactly what Revelation 13 says, that this portrait, this snapshot that we have of Revelation 13 of the Antichrist cannot happen apart from technology. And he's saying, hey, what we want is global tyranny, and the only we know we can't get it without technology. And you're like, well, that's yeah. certainly Yeah, no up. question. And and you know, the government isn't in charge of technology. Technology and all the advancements therein have come from private sector. Uh, and so, of course, if they're going to preside over a technological control grid or a technocracy, they're going to have to use, uh, you know, these uh, private sectors. Another observation that that I would add to that, that to me shows a trend, you know, again, um, when we mention these figures from the last few years with COVID and all that, we're not s saying that, you know, this is the Antichrist or whatever. We're just saying there seems to be a trend toward the interconnectedness of private sector business leaders and influencers with global decisions. And so I remember uh, Trump uh, talking a lot about how he was summoning to the White House all of these top business leaders in each mm -hmm. of their fields to consult with them and try to, you know, figure out how to respond to this pandemic, whether it was you know, pharmaceutical companies with Operation Warp Speed or companies to manufacture masks and manufacture respirators. And and look, our listeners and, and you and I, we all get that, you know, the the the, the, the negative side of this whole control of virus scamdemic, as I call it. I'm not in any way trying to legitimize what all was done as part of a pre-planned, you know, mm -hmm. pandemic. But the fact is what was happening in real time, to me, kind of shows a trend that lends itself toward you know, fulfilling this uh, sort of obscure relationship that we read about in Revelation 17 between these 10 kings who aren't really kings, who don't really have a kingdom, but yet they're, you know, they're ultimately going to give their power and authority over to the beast. Is that, is that right? Oh, absolutely. I think the key, what, 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 what shook me a little bit, and as I was reading, just meditating on Revelation 17, 12 and 13, is again, that phraseology where it says so clear that they are of one mind and they hand over their power and authority. So I thought, well, that's interesting because we know that the Antichrist is going to, he's in the first three and a half years, as, as you mentioned, he's on the scene, he's consolidating, you know, he's, he's doing his thing. But he, as, as you mentioned, he becomes a, a, a divine egomaniac um, in, in the middle of the of the tribulation, as Second Thessalonians two says, and of course, there's a religious aspect there with the Jews, and of course, that's very central. But what you see there is he's thinking in terms of how do I accomplish all this? He can't do it alone, 
And this, so the 10 kings, they give their power and authority. So you think, well, what power and authority do they have? Well, I like to ask this question and, and is right now, I mean, the greatest superpower in the history of the world, the United States of America. Okay. We know that right now. Let's just, I mean, here it is. Boom. This week. Hey, JB, I just heard on the news before we came on, there was an explosion on the International Space Station. They have one week to get up there. Otherwise, they're all going to die. Well, who does Biden call? <laughs> you can't call NASA. They, they don't have a system. Russia's not going to help, even if they could. The greatest superpower in the history of the world cannot accomplish a, a rescue unless they call one private individual. Yeah. Elon Musk, right? Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> now think Fair about enough. that power and authority that one private individual has that the greatest superpower in the history of the world doesn't. Yeah. That to me is a powerful testimony that as we get farther and farther along, these guys aren't losing wealth and influence. They're gaining it. They gained almost a trillion dollars uh, just in the in 18 months. Uh, I, I have this documented and I'll present it later, you know, in, in, in my presentation. But these guys are all, they're the ones, Google, uh, Facebook, Gates, Elon Musk, Bezos, you know, all these guys, they're the ones that are messing with most of the, the uh, technology, whether it's surveillance, artificial intelligence, quantum computers, biotechnology. I'm not saying the government's not involved, but if you look at the, the key, the people who are the key, you, you think about um, having the ability for universal surveillance or, or um, monitoring around the world. Well, again, there's one guy. Yeah. Starlink. He's yep. got, he's, he's pushing 6,000 satellites now. And, and his, his goal seems very benign. No, I just want everybody to have internet. Well, the fact of the matter is if, if you cover the whole world, which is where, where he's doing it. And then he comes and says, Hey, Mr. Antichrist, this is what I can give you. Yeah. What are you going to give me? Or as you said, the Antichrist goes to him, right? As we need this, that's a great analogy about the about the space station there. And I know you know this, but but you know, power and authority—that's dunamis and exousia. Authority. Most people think, in fact, it's often translated this way in the New Testament as power, as a you know, as a synonym for a power uh, or absolute power. But I looked it up in BDAG while we while you were talking. One of the earliest definitions of exousia is capability. Yeah. There you go. So, you know, these 10 kings have capabilities that, you know, we uh, might need or that the Antichrist rather might need someday. And so, of course, he's going to call on. And, and, and you see this, you know, all the time in real crises that happen. They may not be global crises on the scale of what we're talking about here in terms of eschatology, but if there's a a child stuck in a well or a, a gas leak, or, or think about the uh, the big pipe burst in, in the Gulf of Mexico years ago. Yep. They were calling on every expert scientist, engineer, you know, people that had capability to come in and help them accomplish what they want. So what is the Antichrist's goal? What is he trying to accomplish? As you pointed out, he's not all powerful. He's not all present. He's not all knowing. He's going to need artificial means to help him uh, you know, sort of replicate God's omniscience. So, you know, he's got a lot of tools in his arsenal. Of course, we haven't even talked about AI and the role that plays, as I talk about right. in my uh, book, Rise of the Global Technocracy. But, you know, certainly uh, calling on powerful leaders who are called kings, the ten horns, and yet they've not received a kingdom and they have authority like kings, uh, so forth. I mean, to me, it's a very compelling uh, biblically legitimate argument to make, right? Yeah, I mean that—that's kind of where I'm going. And and interestingly, you know, we we tend to focus, which is fine, on on the West because I do believe that the coming uh, empire is a revived Roman Empire, which is going to be uh, centralized around the Mediterranean basin, like it was originally. Um, you know, will the Antichrist have other people who are his enemies, the kings of the East, as we know in Revelation 16, or even in the book of Daniel, uh, you know, the kings of the South trouble him, what, whatever that. Um, but I do believe it'd be centralized there. But what we do see is th there are many European uh, technocratic oligarchs uh, 
that are very powerful. It's not just the ones that we're mentioning. There are worldwide guys um, who are worth hundreds of billions of dollars. So, and they, they have a great influence. Uh, so I, I think, again, it is going to be more Mediterranean basin centric, but that doesn't mean that uh, as we've seen the amount of influence, again, like Bill Gates, uh, you know, he's, he's a Microsoft guy. He's, he's a software guy, but yet he's buying up farmland. He is involved with vaccines by, uh, you name it, all the Rockefellers, you name it, all these, there's a new book out. I encourage everybody to get it came out just about five, six weeks ago. And I'm like, this is a gift from heaven for, for my presentation because it's called Control Oligarchs. Oh, I love it. And, it. and it's written by a guy. As far as I can tell, there's no religious bent. He is simply just documenting George Soros, Schwab, Gates, you know, Zuckerberg. And, I mean, he's got thousands of footnotes. It is absolutely incredible of what he's documenting going back and just showing how these guys are out to control everything. And I thought this is like, again, it's such, it's showing in real terms, which I couldn't do even in a 45 minute presentation, all the evidence that he's shown of the way that they've been working for the last hundred years and how it's not ending. I mean, George Soros is 93. He's about ready to go, but his son, Alex is even more wicked Mm-hmm. than his dad mm-hmm. and and they are determined i mean think about all the money they spend with elections um buying these companies and if, if you expand it out to blackrock and vanguard and state street these other companies that control 20 trillion plus in assets larry fink and others these guys are they have tremendous amount of what power and capability yes. i mean it's amazing yeah yeah no it really is and and so you know, and by the way, folks, if you love this topic, you need to come to the Prophecy Watchers Conference in Orlando, the, the, the Orlando Prophecy Summit. It's February 29th uh, through uh, March the 3rd. Uh, in-person tickets are sold out, but you can still purchase the live stream tickets. Uh, watch every one of the speakers from the comfort of your own uh, home, and then you have access to continue to watch them for the next six months. Um so if you're not able to watch a particular session live because of your work schedule or whatever, you can always come back and watch it. But man, this is the kind of stuff uh, that that I eat up. And I'll before we're done, I'll I'll mention some of the other speakers and topics just to kind of whet your appetite a little bit. And I, I'd love to hear uh, Mondo's kind of uh, pitch on the conference as well. But the traditional view, Mondo, that we really haven't talked much about, but it's the view that that somehow. The, the, the final seven years leading up to the return of Christ and the, the inauguration of, of the long-awaited Messianic kingdom um, are going to involve sort of 10 regions of a one-world system with 10 regional kings that eventually end up, you know, sort of handing over their kingdoms to, uh, you know, their regions to the Antichrist. And it's all neat and tidy. And, you know, our minds work that way, don't they? We really like to think in terms of black and white, real simple charts, and you know this leads to this, this means that, this is the equivalent of that, and that's just normal, that's natural, mm-hmm. and and but I think you know when you really step back and try to be objective about the, the prophetic portions of Scripture, there's a there there's a lot more ambiguity and complexity there than we you know really are comfortable with, and so all we are trying to say here is let's step back, let the text speak for itself. Let's not get tunnel vision. Like yeah. we're so, you know, e- so easy to do, you know, Hey, this is what Walvard said in the fifties. It must be true. You know, and I love Walvard. I had him as a professor. Me too. Yep. And that's no criticism at all, but it's like, you know, one of the greatest things that, that my mentor in, in my PhD studies did for me and taught me, and by the way, I'm going to have him on our program next month, Dr. Mike Stallard, is he taught me that theology is a process, not a product. You don't mm-hmm. sort of get it all figured out, write your eight volumes, and then sit back and rest on your laurels and say, there it is, I've figured it out. It's a constant process of comparing Scripture with Scripture, being honest and open and humble enough to say, you know what, I used to hold this view, but I've now considered passages that I really hadn't thought about before, or I've seen them in a different light, and so I'm going to refine my view. And so I love theology. That's what my the way I'm wired. I know you do too. We connect the dots. And so as I look at these scriptures, 
and I try to make sense of what Daniel was saying, you know, 500 years before Christ, what uh, John was saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit at the end of the first century, and then I see what's happening. You know, you mentioned earlier on the program that the original authors couldn't really fully have comprehended, you know, how what they were writing might be fulfilled. I think Daniel even tells us that in his in his yep. prophecy, right? That look, uh, you know, or God tells Daniel, I should say, look, these things are not for you to understand. So I think as we look at current, you know, current events and things that are happening, we see start to see a picture emerging that I think makes a lot of sense based on what you're what you're uh, presenting here of of a setting of the stage for a one world system that ultimately the Antichrist will. Uh, being dwelt by Satan and, you know, rule in tyrannical, horrific, satanic terror. But there are a lot of moving parts that that lead up to that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's fascinating to me that, you know, the angel told Daniel, seal it up. Th yeah. th it's not for many, Daniel, you're going to go to the grave. This is way beyond you, but seal it up. But knowledge will increase in the time of the end. That's right. Yeah. And so I do think that um, th there are limits. And, and again, I, we're not, we don't do newspaper exegesis, but we're looking and wondering and uh, it, what the external circumstances help us to go back to scripture and go, Hey, I've read, I've read Revelation 17, 12, you know, a thousand times or a hundred times, whatever. And, and it never jumped out at me. These are Kings without a kingdom. Right. Wait a minute. Or they're influencers. Or like you said, they have they're 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 given these excuse you these these capabilities. It's it's been in BDAG the whole time, you know, yeah. at least since it's written. And so it's exciting to look around and go, hmm. And no doubt, you know, when the Club of Rome did their 10 regions, I mean, that that became kind of a standard, which at the time was legitimate because back then, who were the who were the influencers? They were they were governments. But now, as we say, that is not the way, that's not the world that we're living, not the governments don't have influence. But now we have situations where individuals can influence and have greater capabilities and powers in governments and superpowers. I mean, that's amazing to me. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows I'm a conspiracy theorist, but to be clear, I only believe in the conspiracy theories that are true. Uh, you know, the conspiracy theorist in me points out that just about every government really is controlled, you know, yep. uh, especially our government. I mean, there are rogue elements of our government, you know, call it the deep state or call it the global elites, call it what you want, the shadow government. That's what uh, Jeffries uh, called it. Um, you know, whatever you call it, there's it, there are outside forces that are controlling governments and the smaller governments around the world, you know, they were kind of picked off long ago and they are beholden to these oligarchs, these globalists, what what they many of them themselves call Luciferians, what what I describe in my book series, the Luciferian elite that are working hand in puppet with Satan to try to orchestrate and set the stage for this coming one world system. So, you know, the the there really isn't, you know, de facto, there's just not a lot of government power. We talk about Russia and Putin and China and Xi and America and, and that and those are power centers, if you will. But um, it, it's just the, the days of uh, authority, you know, authority, uh, carte blanche, you know, absolute power at the hands of the governments uh, are, you know, I mean, just look at the pandemic. I mean, yep. you, you know, uh, Trump, again, love him or hate him. Uh, he was uh, just brushed into the role as he as as he was for such a time as that. And yet it was his advisors, the Fauci's of the world, mm -hmm. who either convinced him, depending on your view on Trump or whatever, but clearly they were the ones out front saying, this is what we've got to do. You know, Fauci lied and people died. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, this is just fascinating stuff. So to kind of summarize it, um, what we could be seeing is a scenario where key, powerful individuals, oligarchs, uh, are rising to the fore. They're already exerting influence, but they could come in quite useful to a guy who later becomes the Antichrist, couldn't they? Yeah, I think that's, if we look back at, let me use another analogy in that if you were a globalist uh, and you wanted to um, to censor information. I mean, we just saw late the latest Davos W, you know, World Economic Forum was all about misinformation versus dis disinformation. That's their target this year. 
And uh, but if you wanted to accomplish an agenda worldwide, whatever that might be, you know, think about it in that sense. That what's the biggest hindrance, uh, at least to do that to the, the the greatest superpower, America? And well, that's the First Amendment. It's called the freedom of speech. Okay, mm-hmm. well. If they can't get the government to overrule that because of constitutional or even, um, you know, uh, Supreme Court rulings or, or, you know, the courts. Just the populist as well. You know. Yeah, just the populist. You, yeah. you would say, so So, how did they get it to happen? Well, they did it through private things. They, Facebook, YouTube, all that, all those people, all, all the Google and even, even, uh, even, for example, as the, as you know, they at first the Biden administration said, "Oh well, you know, Jim Psaki was like, no, no, it's not our goal to mandate uh, vaccines." Okay, it, that was the first thing they said. But what they did is they let the businesses do it. Yes, it was franchised tyranny. That's what. Yes, it was, you know. So it worked, and so you, you have people being censored, eliminated. You have you had information being controlled, which is exactly what you need for a tyrannical system, which is what we saw, and. Most of it was not done, at least in our country, through the government. It was done through private individuals, and it was successful. It, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, it was the pastors who said, you can't come to this church now without wearing a mask. It was the Walmart managers. It was the yep. fast food, you know, uh, places. Wendy and I were just talking about this yesterday. You know, my wife, I, I just thank God for Wendy. She's such a, an incredible blessing in my life. And you know, she's been so influential in some of the decisions and things that I've written, and it was whole, her whole idea to write the Spirit of the Antichrist books. But we were just thinking yesterday, we were at dinner, and we were in Denver the very weekend that really everything started to lock down. You know, it was coming, we saw it coming, and so forth, but it was that weekend, and we didn't live in Denver at the time, we lived in, in up in the mountains, uh, in a different place, and but we were in town, and they announced a curfew. Uh, we went to a Dickie's barbecue restaurant. And while we were there, they were moving tables, stacking them in the corner. And we were like, what's up? And they're like, well, this is it. You're probably one of the last customers because we're going to only be available for delivery and takeout. And it's like, it was all of these private owners. There was no mandate. There was no law. I mean, there it was just, you know, this, this is what you got. So yeah, I mean, and and you talk about uh, censorship. You're right. I mean, the World Economic Forum, basically their whole theme this past week was, you know, we want you to trust us. We tell <laughs> we you, trust. Yeah, right. We tell you not to trust the truth. You know, that's basically. And so they're shutting everything down. And, uh, and it wasn't just YouTube and Facebook. We got canceled from YouTube very early on. It's been about three years now, maybe more. Uh, we were back on. We're starting to repost again. It'll be interesting to see how long it lasts, but we we want so desperately to get the gospel out mm-hmm. uh, to a lost and dying world that we know it's there's still a big following on YouTube. So we're we're taking another shot at it. But it was books too. You know, how did they they started censoring books by owning the publishing companies, by dealing with the librarians and controlling the school boards, and so they start ripping out books and putting in books that are completely blasphemous. Uh, and it's a complete uh, con- control grid. Mondo, I mean, this is just amazing. Anything else you want to add on this topic before we uh, shift to just the conference and, and talk a little bit about you know, it? The I, I would like to just say that one of the reasons why, you know, we even do this is is not to fear monger. I mean, we're not here to fear monger anything. It's to remind people and say, hey, look, the Bible says these are the characteristics as humanity approaches the end of the age where the Lord returns. And as we look out, we're saying, this is what the snapshot of the Bible says. And hey, guys, we're seeing it out here, which shows us, again, the authority and the majesty and the accuracy of the word being from God. Uh, God's the only one that can predict the future. And so it's it's helping us to, as an apologetic uh, to say, hey, the Bible's true. And get ready, get your life right Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Time is running short. And so it really isn't to fear. It's to say, look, th- these are actual things that can be compared. Again, I, I deal from a scientific perspective, and and as you do as, as an academic, we're looking for facts. We're looking for correlations. And the Bible says this, and this is what we see, and it is not blind. You know, you could maybe argue 30 years ago if you wanted to against some of these things, but it's so stark now. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's really the, our goal is to say, hey, this this is this is the goal. The goal is the gospel. The goal is yes. to get people saved. Absolutely. And the gospel is so simple, a child can understand it. Uh, you can say it in 10 words or less. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Every human being is born a sinner. We're in desperate need of a Savior. There's nothing good within us to merit, uh, you know, making us right with a holy God. We've been separated because of our sin from a holy God. And the solution is not in man's religion. It's not in baptism or being good or performing well or your heritage or your family or your money. The only solution is to come empty-handed to Jesus and say, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, and I'm trusting in you today as the one who died and rose again for my sins, took my place on the cross, paid my penalty, paid my sin debt, and I'm asking you to forgive my sin and give me the free gift of eternal life. And I hope if you've not done that, that you'll do that today. And as Mondo said, for those who are believers, this isn't about fear. I mean, if you're an unbeliever, you have something to fear, absolutely, and that is the penalty of sin. You're not promised tomorrow. Life is but a vapor, and uh, it, Hebrews 9, 27 says, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. You need to make sure you're right with God by receiving the free gift of salvation from Him. But as a believer, we're never to fear. Uh, we don't have a spirit of fear. We're to be not scared, but prepared. And you're exactly right. God put these things in the Word of God for a reason. They're not just there for no reason. They're there for us to study the whole counsel of God. And even though the vast majority of conservative Christians today really have no use for prophecy, they actually mock it and make fun of it in fulfillment of what Peter predicted would happen in the last days. It is there for a reason. We want to, to, to study all Scripture, and especially the closer we get uh, to the return of the Lord. Jesus himself said in the first century to the unbelieving Jewish leaders uh, how they are able to look at the the weather patterns and, and the sky and discern the weather, but they're not able to discern the signs of the times. We don't want to make that mistake. So I hope this has been encouraging to you. Man, it's exciting to think uh, what's coming down the pike. I just I just get so excited every time I talk to you and others about uh, about this stuff. So the conference, uh, let me just run down a list of the speakers. Again, this is February 29th. Uh, to uh, uh, March 3rd in Orlando, Florida. It's the you know they do two or three big conferences a year. Prophecy Watchers does. Uh, the next one's in Colorado Springs. I'll be speaking at that one, and they've got another one coming up in December. I don't think they've posted that yet, so I won't mention it. But uh, listen to some of these speakers. Mondo, of course, is going to be there, and as we said, he's going to be talking about the mystery of the ten kings, kings without a kingdom. And then his second message is going to be on God's amazing universe. And, and Mondo, as many of you know, um, has a, a telescope, and he's just an expert in uh, in just studying, uh, you know, the stars and, and those types of things. So, and, he, and he did a presentation at the last Prophecy Watchers conference that was really cool, showed us some pictures. Um, so he'll be there. Gary Stearman may be there also with a spectacular message. We're, we're waiting to see on that. Uh, my two messages at the conference are going to be uh, the Conspiracy Theory Conspiracy, Satan, Secret Societies, and the CIA, and then the New World Order Timetable 2025 and the Blueprint for Global Tyranny. I uh, can't wait for those. Those are going to be a lot of fun. Alex Newman will be there. He's going to be talking about CBDCs and climate change. Billy Crone, I, I hope, and, and Mondo, if you have any sway, consider this a request. I hope that my messages are not up against Billy's because I want to go to Billy's. Uh, he's going to be talking about UFOs, aliens, and the coming mass abduction, as well as UFOs, aliens, and the coming mass delusion. Man, Billy is just such a powerful speaker. Tom Hughes will be there, L.A. Marzulli. I had L.A. on the show recently. He's just amazing. Lee Brainerd, he's been on the show. He'll be speaking. Bill Salas has been on the show. He'll be speaking. Brandon Holdhouse, another powerhouse. Uh, they're going to be talking about will the West survive uh, and, 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 and some other things. Don Perkins, Larry Allison, Andy Woods, who we just had on yesterday, speaking this year on uh, proof of the pre-tribulation rapture and speaking about Daniel 7. That'll be interesting. See how that correlates to what we talked about today. Carl Tykrib, Tommy Ice, Ken Mickle, Bill Koenig, Mark Henry. Man, how do you guys do it? How do I mean, first of all, how did my name get on that list, number one? <laughs> but number two, how do you get such awesome speakers? We're looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I, we give all the credit to Bob. I mean, he, he he's the man behind the curtain that makes it all happen. We're, we're just the ones out here in the front, you know, <laughs> trying to do things. But uh, that, that that's his one of the 
uh, things that we get excited about is that it's pretty rare. People come up to me and at the conferences and, and this last one, I was kind of in the front at off, off of, I was off in a way. And then they, they turn the corner and then there's this whole hallway of all of their favorite speakers. And they, and I was like, there they are, go for it. And uh, <laughs> so we're super excited to be able to, to do it and to bring so many well-known qualified speakers in that are, again, these guys are all doing this full time. And, uh, and, and, and they all have different gifts, which is awesome, different uh, expertise. So we try to keep it varied because there's so much to know. And again, it's, it's the Lord is, is returning and here we are. Yeah. I mean, you need to be there folks. Uh, I think, I don't know what the cost is, but there's a, do you happen to know offhand for the, for the uh, uh, live streaming? Yeah. There, there might be a few tickets left for on location, maybe, Um but the live stream is $75. They get it for six months. And uh, wow. again, a lot of people like that because it's it's tough to sit there right in a row and they can kind of space it out. Yeah. And plus, if you're there in person, you know, you might want to go in person and get the live stream because, you you know, some of them are two sessions at the same time, or at least they have been in the past. And so obviously you can't be in two places at once. Yep. Uh, so anyway, uh, so yeah, it sounds like there may be a few tickets left for in-person. Go today to prophecywatchers.com, sign up. Um, if you're at the conference, I know many of you have already emailed me that you've already got tickets. Come by and see us. Uh, my family will be with me. Always a great blessing to introduce my wife and uh, my daughter, Brooke, who works for us. My granddaughter will be there. My son, Landry, will be there this time. And Abby, my one of my other daughters, will be there. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Faith will be there. My daughter, she's flying in from Phoenix just to kind of take turns. What's what's happening is while I'm working at the conference, my family's going to go out to some of the theme parks and enjoy some oh, great fellowship. Nice. And then they're taking turns kind of helping me at the at the booth. So, uh, but that's all right. I would, to, to me, it's much more fun to just hang out at the booth and meet and greet and talk to people and see some of my heroes. So anyway, uh, prophecywatchers.com the Orlando Prophecy Summit. Mondo, thanks so much for, for being with us today. Always a pleasure. Um, and I uh, can't wait to, to see the finishing touches on your presentation uh, at the conference. Amen. Appreciate it. It's always good being here. Uh, this really has helped me a lot to, to fine-tune some things. Well, good. That's that's awesome. Well, folks, uh, remember how we started. Uh, don't let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. Proverbs 23, 17, and 18. Check out the website, notbyworks.org. We sure appreciate all of our listeners, appreciate your prayers and support. You are a great blessing. And tune in again tomorrow as we talk about World Events Update with Randy. God bless everyone. Have a great week.